everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Bridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Bike911.com, it's a website, go visit it if you need some legal assistance. Alex Asante is your boy, he's going to take care, he's a motorcycle enthusiast as well, so he speaks your language, Bike911.com. Well, we missed last week, and we were going to have it going. Jason Pridmore, who's with us now, was in Chuckwalla. We're going to get that update. But I was going to have Jeff White on. Oh, JP. wow. Where are we? I was going to have Jeff White on. And honestly, we were going to record Wednesday morning. And, of course, last Wednesday, we found out that Anthony Gobert passed away, who raced here in the States, won 11 superbike races in his career here in the States, and more. We're going to talk about that in this podcast. Um. But before we get into all that stuff, how are you, JP? Uh, tired. I'm good, though. I I just spent, uh, you know, 10 days out of Chuck Walla again. And, um, dude, I mean, it's it, when people go out there and they go, you spent 10 days, got to realize, you know, we've got it pretty good out there. And it was stunning every day out there. It's it's weird. You know, I've been going out there for as long as I have, and I just I still love it. I just love the place. Well, it's, it wasn't stunning on Sunday, right? Yesterday. Well, Sunday, yesterday was the only day it wasn't stunning. Out. But all the way up to that, like nine days in a row of just like perfect mornings, perfect riding days, mm-hmm. perfect evenings, and then yeah, for the first time I can think of uh, that I that I remember ever, we had to cancel races yesterday at Chuckwalla on the Sunday because it rained pretty good overnight, and um, it's not because that we didn't want guys riding in the rain. That was not the case. It's just that living in California, tire manufacturers probably don't they're not used to having to bring a you know a shit ton of rain tires to the racetrack. And, um, they had, it was funny, Greg, because on the race weekends, it's kind of like, I, I finally can decompress because I've, we, we did one-on-ones on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, road, Friday races, Saturday, Sunday. So, um, so I kind of was in bed at like, still at like eight o'clock, eight fifteen in the morning. And I got a text message showing cars going around the racetrack. Like they let everybody take the cars on the track, trying to dry it. But it was kind of like that. It was kind of like that misty rain that just is enough to keep things wet. It wasn't really, and so they just didn't have enough tires for everybody. So they canceled them at like 10 o'clock. So I was, you know, I got myself out of there and got home and watched some a couple of football games with mom type of thing, you know? Yeah, um, that's cool. But it was perfect out there. The races on Saturday were good. Um, you know, like the big bike classes right now, you obviously you had Corey. And then Bryce Prince, Bryce Prince showed up with Dion Campbell. Because I think they're going stock thousand racing, wow! And um, and then I think they had uh, another great guy out there, Ben Hodges, really nice guy that hangs out with Bryce. So so Bryce Prince had his R one kind of clan out there. And I never really got to see them in the shootout because that would have been yesterday. Andrew was out there on his bike. Um, you know, Dave Anthony's Andrew out Lee. there. So Andrew Lee, yeah. So um, yeah, and, and so for me, it, it yeah, Michael Gilbert was out there. There, there's there's a, a lot of people out there right now um, going fast. Like the track is fast. But how about this? How about this, GW? You'll like this. On the days run together for me out there. But on a couple, <laughs> I think it was Wednesday, Thursday, Joe Roberts showed up on a Graves R1. And um, oh, that was an R1? It was okay. on an R1. And, <clears throat> and um, heard, like, like the, the joke is, well, it's really super unofficial, but it's not really. But he was, he got into the 42s. Yeesh. Yeah, flying. And oh, it was, was like, he on, was he on Pirelli's? He was. And when he went by, like when I'd be out there riding with people and he'd go by, it was like he was on a different racetrack. You know what I mean? Like it was like, 
Well, there was a there was a clip of him because they oh, were yeah. going counter. Uh, they were going mm-hmm. counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. There was a clip of him coming out of the last couple corners and onto the front straightaway. Yeah, I am telling you, when I first saw the clip, it yeah. looked like it was video game because like the bike was. It was no, no, no. It wasn't that it was it was sped up? There's a certain like if you see people that do like th- Jay. I got to be honest. Okay, this is so funny. People are so stupid on the internet. They see MotoGP video game and they'll see like somebody crashing and they post it like it's a real video. Okay, okay? like oh my god. Look oh yeah, no, yeah. That, I agree with you. I right? agree. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and they're really this. They do the same thing with um with a uh, uh, Microsoft flight simulator. Like you'll see some like heavy airplane coming in and people post it. Like, I can't believe this plane didn't crash. Right. Like, it's a right. video game. You numb nuts. You numb there nuts. is a certain, um, there's certain physics that I can see that are totally different on a video game than they are in real life. And part of it is kind of the connection of the bike to the racetrack. And it kind of doesn't track always exactly right. It kind of has this movement to it. And dude, I watched that clip probably 20 times of Joe coming out of the last corner you know, left-hander flicking it back, right? It was the yeah. left-hander and the bike was just like, it was turning, everything was good, but it just had this movement that it was kind of sitting on top of the pavement and just kind of moving. And it looked so video game-ish. And I was just like, who is yeah. it? And I was like, oh my God, Joe went, is it, ripping. Well, he, 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 um, and I don't know like the spec of the bike. I actually asked him when he was leaving. He's such a good guy, man. He always, you know, I just really like Joe. I think he's yeah, it takes time. Qual- he's very humble. He's, very yeah, very quality, quality. Doesn't guy. matter. He's in Jeep, you know, MotoGP series. Doesn't, care. doesn't matter. He comes he's out there the- and he's out there changing his tire. He's doing his thing, anyways. He's great. And um, and I asked him, and I think that the front end was pretty special on that bike. Whatever they did to it, because he could just get the bike to go in certain spots. And his rate from the time that he was upright to the time he get to full lean was so quick. It just reminded me a lot of Moto too. Like it reminded me a lot of what you would see, and. Just how he sat on the bike and the things like he just looked—it just looked awesome. It looked so great. And to go forty-two to six or something, Kolb the day before was out on the wall while they were because Kolb had a problem with one of his bikes, so he just kind of went out and watched. And he's like, "Jay, I got him at like a mid to high forty-three, and he got held up in turns three and two on that lap." And Dave's <laughs> like, "Like that? Like it was fast, you know?" And when you were out there with him, it was like you, you felt like you were in like a B group. You know what I mean? Like you wow. felt like he's in, like I'm in B group. He's in a group. I'm, I've somehow wandered onto the track in the wrong group today. <laughs> That's what I felt like, you know? So yeah, I've made this contention for a long, long time. I just yeah. think that, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you take talent out of the equation, mm-hmm. there are some riders that end up, whether through training experience or just natural talent, yeah. they just see the racetrack in a different way. You know, like, and, and that racetrack gets connected in a different way that's just faster than mm-hmm. normal people look at it. You and I have been in enough schools and seen double right-handers or double left-hand corners that people will sit up in the middle. But to you, you look at that corner and you're just like, why are you not just at full lean angle all the way through all the, the way corner, through. right? Yeah. Because obviously their speed does, their speed dictates that lean angle. And so they kind of sit and, but they're looking at the track like it's two corners. Yeah. You're looking at the track like it's one corner. Yeah. And yeah. so what I'm saying is like, Joe has made such advancements through being forced to for speed or just learning and natural talent altogether in Moto2 and being in Moto2 this long and being around that kind of talent. Because Moto2 times keep getting faster and faster and faster. And so he's got to step up, you know, and he's won races. So, you know, I, I think that that's probably it. He looks, he goes to Chuck Wall and just sees it in a different way. Well, and the fact that he loves to being out there, he loves being out there, getting his time in, riding. Um, I think he said he tests at the end of February is when he when he starts his testing. And, um, 
I mean, I've been out there a bunch with Joe. Like I've seen him riding a lot out there um, over the years. And there's, you know, I dare say this year, there's just something a little bit different. I, he looks mm. different. He looks, I've seen him working on things on the bike, but like I saw him this weekend, I've never seen him look as good on a bike as I thought that he looked this week. And it was weird, Greg, because he had that kind of speed where it was like, generally when I'm out there, you know, I'm always working with people. So I'm riding around with guys and I can see somebody coming up in mirrors and that kind of thing. He would appear from nowhere. Like it was like, <laughs> like, and, and it was like, I think I just saw a flash in my mirror and it's like, nope, I just got to like, just don't even just keep looking ahead. Cause, because and he would, he would go by you so quickly, even mid corner in some places. And you'd be like, yeah, that's another level. That's, I just, it was great. I loved it. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he has a great year, but, um, but it's good because out there right now, it's starting that thing again at Chuck Waller, where we'll start getting a lot of these, these teams and people showing up out there and, like we had Bobby Fong last month and Dave Anthony's ripping on a GSXR 750. They really seem like they've got a direction on their 750s that, um, that, that are working. So I, I talked to Dave and he's in for the season uh, with Supersport. Obviously him and Bobby, I think are going to do the 200, I think on those. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun being out there. Cause, cause you kind of see things. Corey wrote a Ducati. Corey was on a V2. Oh, he was. Yeah, like a stalker he, or any like I think mile. he was on a race bike. He was on a race bike. Like I, a Moto America I, race bike. So the I think it belonged to like, I think it belonged to Honos. So I think it was a Ducati Moto America spec. All right, so it was kind of tuned to Moto America spec. Yeah, and he rode it on take, takes a bit of a bit of power out of it. I think know. he rode on Friday and then he raced it on Saturday. I mean, the biggest concern with him is I mean he looks like Andre the Giant trying to ride a tricycle, is what he looks like, you know? Yeah, it's so yeah, it's he looks there. so big, and when you look at it, um, he's just all arms and legs, and it's it's like, I mean, that's going to be the hardest thing I think for Corey is to just ergonomically fit properly on the bike, you know? Yeah, um, that will be the biggest problem. Um, but but yeah, it, it it like I said, um, I mean, you also had uh, Jason Uribe's out there on that CW Moto R1 and they're going to go, they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to do the year, I think. Oh, Superbike also. Uribe's and, back. That's great. And he's, and he's riding good. Like another guy, another guy I really, really like. Yeah. Good guy, man. Just a good guy. So, so anyways, yeah, it's, um, it's fun being out there, but man, what the way they did the schedule, Greg's, I gotta be right. I gotta be right back out there on the 2nd of February. So what Oof. are we on the 21st? Yeah. 22nd. <clears throat> 22nd. So yeah. And I've just got to turn around and go straight back out there. Oh my God! It's twenty second of January. You know what that means this weekend, don't you? It's Jeff White's birthday weekend. Oh, is it? And Jason White's birthday Dude, weekend. Your brother is—he's a riot man. Maybe something else. He is something else. He—he he, and he's right, dude. I'm telling you, man. Like, if you could take the fact that he's your brother out of the equation and not be so Can't, like biased no. as you are, no. If you came out and saw him ride, you'd be like, "Whoa, he's actually riding really well." I, I'll listen. I'll give anybody credit where credit's due. All right. F him. All right. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about, we'll catch you caught up on Supercross because it's been two weekends of Supercross that have been extremely interesting. And the season yeah. is gnarly. Championship and the premier class is close. All that stuff's great. So we're going to get you caught up on that and fantasy because I got to take my, my, uh, my weeks when I get them. Yeah. So I'm enjoying where we are in fantasy. But before we do that, we're going to get into our news presented by Arai. All right, folks, 
AriAmericas.com is the website. You got to go check out Arai Helmets and learn about helmets. You can learn about fitment, about glancing off technology, about all kinds of neat stuff. Plus, they have different models for different things. You know, you, you, you need a motocross helmet, you need an adventure touring helmet or a road race helmet. They got them, and they got them, even street helmets and stuff. So go check out AriAmericas.com. All right, well, the first news item isn't the cheeriest thing that we're ever going to talk about on this podcast because we talked about at the top of the show, Anthony Gobert passed away, and we wanted to really talk about Anthony Gobert. And for those people that don't, you know, may not know who he is because he's been out of the sport for a while, he, he's, he's just, uh, he was a unique cat, Jay. And it's mm. sad to see that Anthony go. Um, but Anthony, on top of all the talent he had on a motorcycle, also battled a lot of addictions in his life, even through his racing career. And Anthony was one guy that lived every moment to the fullest when he could. And he did, but it lasted till he was 48 and it's sad to see him go. And, you know, listen, Jason, you and I have known Sue and his brothers, Aaron and Alex for a lot of years. And I'm sure that the family is going through it right now, struggling with his loss. But let's talk a little bit about Anthony Gobert and, and some of the stuff that you remember him for, and some of the impact he's had in your life. Yeah, I mean, he did. He had impacts on my life. And it's funny because people talk about stories about myself. I There's so many things, Greg, that I just can't remember anymore, which sucks. But um, there are things with Anthony that I really, really remember. And things with Anthony that were um, – he almost he almost pissed you off because you would, you would watch him and you'd, you wanted to hate him because – he would piss away opportunities, but he was such an awesome guy. He was such a good dude. Like you couldn't dislike him. And I think that you had way more interactions than I had with him just because of where you were in your career on pit wall at that time or pit lane that time. So I think I can't ever remember you saying a bad word about the guy ever, like honestly. And um, he was just such an endearing human being. So nice, always smiling. And he had this un canny ability on a bike without question the most talented guy I'd ever shared a racetrack with um he would do things out there and I would be like whoa I can't I can't do that you know and he just had this like yeah he had the it factor like as people would say and then on the other side of it you wish that you could handcuff yourself to him when he left the racetrack and pull him a direction and go look let's let's do this let's do that um let's get back on the straight and narrow. And I think Greg, as great as he was, uh, as great as he was, we never got to see his full potential. Um, we had lots and lots of flashes of just unbelievable things. You know, I think one of the problems too, Greg, for me is, and I see this in the golfing world too, there's guys that fight addiction there with alcohol or smoking or whatever it is they're doing, right? And some guys you think... If they did get on the straight and narrow, they might not be as good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. If they, mm-hmm. if they literally became sober and um, and if they became sober and became like how a lot of athletes would be where it's like, okay, they're, they're worried about getting their sleep and they're worried about getting up and getting to the gym and they're worried about um, making sure they stay fit and, and eating right and all that. Some of them might not be as successful as they are living the life that they live, right? Um, with Anthony and Anthony's case, you almost kind of would have that argument because he lived his life in a way where there was a time when Anthony used to see how big he could get and still win races. Right. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. 
it's like he would show up and the leathers could barely zip up and he'd go out and win. And his ability on a bike was just, was uncanny. And uh, yeah, his, his, his problems off track gave me the opportunity in 98 to jump on his bike uh, with Vance and Hines. I got hired by Vance and Hines because Anthony um, failed a drug test. And then, so in a way, in a roundabout way, Anthony doing that gave me an opportunity and he came back to the final race in Vegas and I had done fairly well. So they decided to run three bikes there and he was so cool to me. I mean, he was just like, he was just cool. And it was him, Aladdin and myself on the front row at Vegas and um, for the superbike race. I was, I mean, I wish I had more photos from those days because for Mm -hmm. me, that was, that was a big deal for me back then. Well, to finish that story, Anthony's out to the lead. Jason's out in second. Was Maladin third? No, you Matt, were third. Was, Matt was out front. Oh, sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matt. Matt was out front. Then Anthony it was the show. Second. Then you were on th- in third. That was going to be your first superbike podium. And then something happened, right? Like he oiled the track or some fluid well, or something. This is great because see, Greg's Greg's memory starting to get a little bit mushy like mine. So that's good. Um, the first race I did with them was Brainerd, obviously. Then we went to then we went to that Illinois track. Remember and we boycotted it. Peoria. Do I ever remember was that? Was it Peoria? It was, wasn't it like, it was I Peoria. thought it was Joliet. Oh, sorry. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah. Joliet. You're getting mushy. No, you're, I'm, yeah, I I'm am. I'm catching you, G-Dub. Jo- this is Joliet. the first time, by the way, because yeah. his memory is like, your, it was your a, memory it was, is insane. Well, I do remember the whole thing because it was a drag strip and we right. were going to be taking a first gear right turn <laughs> through the through the uh, the NHRA um, staging tower. Line. Like tower. staging like tower. Yeah, but you remember the tower. So if I you high sided, you would go over a railing and right through a glass window. Well, what was funny was, and it was it wasn't even that wide, was it? it was like twelve feet wide. No, it, it was, was really brutal. But it was bad. So they 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 we boycotted that race, and then they brought me back for Pikes Peak. And at Pikes Peak, I finished third. I got my first superbike podium at Pikes, and then from there we went to Vegas, and they had, they let they said, "Hey, oh, we want, that's right, yeah, yeah, like we want to keep you on." At the time, Thomas Stevens was my teammate, and well, Thomas was Anthony's teammate. And then they brought Anthony back for the Vegas round. So for the Vegas race, it was me, Anthony, and Thomas. And the top we, us, the top three guys, myself and Maladin and Aaron, had pulled quite a bit away from everybody else. And, uh, you know, it was like, it was Miguel and Eric Bostrom, I think, on the Hondas, Chandler uh, on the Cowie. I can't remember. Was it, it? No, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been Aaron as his teammate that year, was it, on the Cowie? But Pascal was on the Suzuki's. And, yeah, and, and then Aaron's. Aaron blew a head gas. He blew a head gasket on his Anthony, bike. I mean, Anthony, Anthony blew a head ga- gasket on his bike, and then I hit that and went for the big ride. Broke my arm. That was it. Mm. And I rode for Yosh for the next two years. Yeah, on show of suspension. Which, but but let's yeah. let's go back in time. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna let's go back in time. So in 1994, yeah, Anthony Gobert's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. He had just won the Australian Superbike Championship on a Honda. He shows up to the Phillip Island Circuit for World Superbike, and Muzzy Kawasaki had just fired well one of their riders. Just go back a tiny, 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 tiny bit more, Greg, because I believe he was racing. Um, and the only reason I remember this is because I had a friend that was involved with the team way back in those days. I believe it was a Honda team called Winfield, and I'd have you'd have to check on it for me. That's okay? right. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. And and Anthony had gone over to uh, where did he go? He had done one World Superbike race, 
and I'm trying to think of where it was. I want to think, I want to think it was either Malaysia or it was like Japan because he was on a Honda then and they took him over there and he had two top tens, I think in that race. Um, and, and they put him on, they wouldn't give him an official bike. That was the problem. And I think he beat Aaron Slight in the second race at wherever they were on an unofficial Honda that was like, you know, whatever spec it was. Mm-hmm. So when he came rocking up to Phillip Island, they wouldn't give him an official bike for, this is how the story, I, I hear how it went, okay? So basically he shows up to the Phillip Island on the Wednesday for the weekend's race and Winfield couldn't get an official Honda for him to ride at Phillip Island, a track that he knew. And Muzzy essentially poached him. He went up to him and said, we'll give you a factory Kawasaki if you want to sign for this year and the following. And that, that deal, Greg, was done at the racetrack. He he walked out of Winfield and ride into Muzzy uh, mm-hmm. and, and rode that bike for the first time Friday morning. And I, if he didn't win both of them, I think he won one of those two races that weekend. Um, I believe it was race... Two, I, I this is all I, I couldn't be honest if I I'll be honest if I, I don't know what race it was, but I think he won one of them. And then that's that that kind of set the Anthony Gobert story. You know what I mean? Kind of like, set the legend. Yeah. So so let me yeah. let me fill in some holes for you there. So let's go to the racetrack. So mm-hmm. first of all, he's racing against Carl Fogarty oh, yeah. and Scott Russell, who are racing yeah. for the championship. This is the right. last round of the championship in ninety four. Troy Corser's on a Ducati. Aaron Slight's on the Castrol Honda. That's right. Kirk That's McCarthy's right. on the HRC bike. Maladin is on a Team Kawasaki Australia bike. Simon Crafer's on the Team Rumi Honda. I think that was right. Poland's yep, on a Castrol right. Honda. Piravano's yep. on a freaking Ducati. Like Peter Goddard's in in the race. Giles, who is like you know a legend at Phillip Island, he's in the race. Jamie Whittam is in there. Like we're talking, you know, your boy Steve Martin is in this race. Like, yeah. there's a ton of people. Was he on a Ducati? Was Steve on a Ducati? I wonder back then. Steve was on a Suzuki, Melbourne Suzuki. Interesting. Phil Tainton Racing. Okay, so here's the deal. If you remember back, Scott was in, was but just behind in the championship with Carl, or they were dead. They were like dead even going into this race. Okay. So Gobert puts it on pole by a tenth of a second. Yep. First time riding the bike. And didn't they they ride the bike till Friday morning, right? Till Friday morning, correct. Okay. So they go out in race number one. And in race number one, Fogarty had gotten out to a big lead. Russell had actually, as I remembered, had turned around and let Gobert by. But Gobert did the right thing and rolled off the throttle and let Scott by. Okay. Okay. So so Fogarty wins that race by 13.7 seconds. Scott Russell beats Gobert by one-tenth. So podium. Yeah. So he just but basically then, sat on the back of him all the way to the right. end of the race. Or but the second like race, and I remember watching this race, the second race was different. Scott had a problem. I can't remember what it was. I want to say he chunked a tire or something crazy and sat up and lost the championship. Okay. And Anthony <clears throat> went out in that race and won by 13.4 seconds. Now, with that said, Carl didn't have to push because he knew that Russell was out. But still... You know, Carl was in, Fogarty was in second, Troy Corser was in third, 16.7 seconds back, Slight was in fourth, and so on, back through the field. And you're right, that kind of, everybody was like, whoa, what is this kid, you know? Yep. And then he went on to, you know, to, to the other thing too was his addictions or his, 
Like the one thing I can say about Anthony in the years that I've known him and the one thing that I always felt about Anthony was that racing didn't matter to him. He didn't really like it. He was so good at it. He did it <laughs> yeah. to make money. But what he liked was living life. He liked what happened after the races. And I think that you saw that in his lack of commitment, you know, year in and year out to the fitness, to the making it on time. Jay, there are stories. I believe we were at Loudon one time, right? Friday comes superbike. He's on a superbike. Vroom, 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 vroom. All Friday. Mechanics are at practice, you know, practice, waiting for him to show up. No Gobert. He shows up Saturday morning and qualifying. Never seen the never, track. Puts never it on been. Pole. Never seen the track. Did six laps, seven laps, yeah. puts the thing on pole. And right? you got to remember, like back then, as most of our listeners probably know, that, that if, you know, they're our age, back then the superbike grid was packed. It was stacked packed. and packed. And it was like with factory machinery. Everybody, there's, you know, I the photo that Brian J posted that I reposted on mine the other day of me and Anthony at Road Atlanta. I'm explaining to guys in that photo, and there was another one that I, it was either Henny or Brian took of us going off the start at like the following year at um, Atlanta, and you can count like 15 factory bikes in that photo, and it was tough. And Anthony had, you, you know what, you just said something, and I didn't really know that he didn't enjoy racing. I mean, obviously, I think he enjoyed it, but it was like a means for him, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine having that much talent where you could literally be considered one of the best in the in the world, like forever, um, and not caring that much. It's pretty wild. Like it's, um, see, Jay, this is the yeah. thing. Like, there's a reason why you only have a Valentino Rossi or a Mark Marquez, or you know what I mean, somebody like that who comes around very, very few times as the sport get continues to get more and more and more focused. Like the the quote was made that had Anthony Gobert had a work ethic or had really wanted to get up horny for racing every day. He could have been Valentino. He had the personality for it. He had the following for it. He had the talent for it. He just missed that one thing that Rossi had, right? Yeah. Which was, I mean, look, Rossi's an individual. Gobert's an individual. I'm not saying he would be Valentino Rossi, but you need every component to be successful. Yes or no? Um, I I don't know. I don't, I like... You know, like look, to win the when championships, you, when, I'm saying, look, you got 11 race wins. Yeah, you got to you got to keep that. You you got to keep it on a rail a little bit, you know. But like when you talk to people, Rossi and those guys are party animals. Like those guys would go out on a Sunday night, but the thing is, they could turn it off and go, okay, back to Bingo. business. Exactly. And and Anthony had the ability to, Anthony had the ability to show up half of the human that some of the guys that he was beating were that were taking it as seriously as they could, and he'd go out and win. And, but it's like, I think that the saddest part for me, I, I remember, I remember back then feeling extremely frustrated by the fact that I'm racing a guy that doesn't take it as seriously as I did. Mm -hmm. And he would, you're not the only one by the way. And he would school me. And it would be like, I'm like, if it's like, I felt like I had a lot of natural ability because of the way I grew up. I was, I was born into it and I was very, very fortunate to, 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 Somebody asked me the other day, like, who was your racing hero? It was easy. It was my dad. And so I didn't have any bad habits. So I think natural talent I had um, to an extent because I worked hard at it, but I loved it and I was born into it. Anthony had 
dude, he could get on anything. He'd get on. He, I mean, he was Supercross champion in Australia too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He would get on. He could get on anything and just have this ability. And I think a lot of that just goes back to like balance, like how good balance. I mean, he had a tremendous balance. Anthony was not a crasher either. That was the other thing that was incredible is he would do these times and he would be this fast and he would win these races. And you never thought of Anthony as a guy who hit the deck ever. It's just like Maladin. Maladin never hit the deck. Like these guys were, you know, they were incredible. But I remember sitting there being frustrated for the people that were helping Anthony because I'm like, this guy is so good. And, and like I said, as, as good of a rider as he was, he, uh, so I'll tell you a couple things real quick. Uh, and I, I thought about these for the podcast and I, I hope you don't mind you, Deb. I'll tell a, a couple quick little stories about him. Yeah. Do it. Um, in Vegas in 98. So we, we, we had, uh, the same race that you were talking about just now. Um, you know, I'd gotten a good start and I'd gotten, gotten, I think I actually led and then Maladin got by me early in the first lap or something. Regardless, uh, I ran around in P2 for, probably about a good three or four laps and I had plus zero on my board and I knew there was somebody behind me and I never had really looked back to see, but at Vegas, you, um, did you ever get to ride there? Did you ever oh, get yeah. to ride to Vegas? Yeah, I rode right? there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I appreciate the fact that you used the word road, uh, instead of raced. Um, so, um, that you got that big, long, fast left. By the way, and, I was in the 750 super sport race when Richie Alexander won the national championship. Oh, you actually, oh, so you did race there? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I thought the ride, the, the, the fact that you rode. I, mean, I lined up a, on a grid and I took the green flag and I went to the checkered flag. Were you, and you were, were you registered for that race or did you yeah. sneak out into the grid or something? Uh, no. Okay. Right. Anyways, um, we're getting off subject. The thing was, is that, um, Richard, is that what you said? Richard, 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 Richard head. Uh, so big long left. And then you went down that little back straightaway, Greg, into that super tight left. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember going into there and Anthony went by me. Okay. He went past me and he's tipped in. So the bike is actually tipped into the left. And this is the first time I had ever seen this. I had seen rear wheels off the ground when the bikes are upright. I had seen that. Okay. This was the first time I had ever seen anybody have the rear wheel off the ground. And I'm not talking like it wasn't three feet off the ground. I'm not going to get all exaggerant. It was, it was probably a good four or five inches off the ground. And, but the bike was tipped in. It was tipped. So the bike is leaning into the corner. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, he's going to run straight. He's not going to be able to make this. Like, And legitimately, that's what I thought. And next thing I know, the bike was turned and out of the corner. And I legitimately, to this day, remember for two laps, I was like, what Like, what did I just see? <laughs> I, and I'm, like, I'm not joking. I remember for two laps going, how did he just do that? And, and so in a sense, for those of you that watch world Superbike right now, we see top rack doing this all the time. And if you think Moto GP now, now all the time, and definitely and, during the Bridgestone era. And this is back in 98. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and by the way, when the rear wheel came down, it didn't buck, it didn't do anything. It just came down soft and he squared the turn up and got out of there. And now I'm on the exact same bike as him. I'm on the exact same bike. And I remember laughing going, Yeah. I ain't doing that. And then he's, <laughs> and then he, and then he was pulling away from me probably about three tenths to, uh, you know, a lap. Um, and he was trying to catch Matt, but Matt was kind of gone. And then I had this big gap on everybody else, but I re- literally remember for like two laps thinking like, how did he do that? And the other one is the famous one for me. Is, I've got, I've got a few of them, but the other one for me is him just absolutely, absolutely messing with me at Willow Springs. 
like I'm out there Sunday morning warm up. We'd made a change. Bike felt pretty good. What and bike you on? You as teammate? I was on a Yosh bike. Okay. It's the following year. Um, I was on a Yosh bike, and I'm coming down the front straightaway, probably mid session, and Anthony's getting on the track there at Willow Springs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he kind of has a look over his shoulder as he comes out of turn one and sees me, and I'm carrying 70 mile an hour. Then you know he's cruising, right, coming out of the pits and making, staying out of everybody's way, you know all that. So I go by him, and then about two laps later, he. I'm going down into turn one and this flash of red goes past me on the inside. Right. So I kind of chase him and I go back by him going down into turn eight. So I kind of drafted him, went by him. We go through turn eight and nine together, go down the front straight away. And I'm like, I'm going to move over to the left a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. He goes by me again, goes underneath me. (laughs) So this happened for a couple of laps, like exact same thing. And it, and then finally, I'm like, I'm going into turn one so tight that he's not going to be, he's going to have to go around the outside of me. My dad used to always say like, make these guys go around the outside of you. If they, you know, so I'm, I'm coming down the front straight. And as I come out of turn nine, I don't really move over for turn one. I kind of stay on the left side of the track. And then I kind of bridge it back over to the right, just a tiny bit. And I'm in there tight now. I'm in there probably half track or just inside half track. Waiting for him and to go down the And you need the exit of one to carry speed. You do need. You do. You, know, you, do, you, gotta, you do. You do. But at this yeah, point yeah. now, it's my egos that got the better of me, and I'm not letting Anthony go by. <laughs> and and um, I go down into turn one. I'm mid track, and I'm I'm like, oh, he's behind me. Like you know, I can still hear the Ducati. I heard the I heard him through eight and nine. And as I'm starting to tip in, he goes underneath me again, and I'm like. Like, what is going on? And he literally, after the session, was just laughing about it with me. Like, Yeah, like he had the best time of his life. I felt, I felt like, I, like, it was just the craziest thing. And I just, and, I, and you couldn't help but laugh because he's just such a good guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, there, I've got some crazy stories about him just being on track and the things I see. Those are the two that kind of rang out to me the most. And I've told those stories before, I know. And um, Not on this podcast, you haven't. Well... And I, you know, I I hung out with him at the Suzuka Eight Hour a little bit mm-hmm. uh, when he was riding for Corona uh, with Adam Ferguson, and it's like I don't know how many. Yeah, you know, I know you remember Krusty. I know mean, you remember oh, Adam. Yeah, of course, Corona. Another just yeah. just a just a sweetheart of a guy. Like Adam was great, but he also battled the same kind of addictions as far as like the drinking goes. So him and Anthony at Suzuka were probably the worst two you could put together. You know, oh boy, yeah, like yeah. when they were over there. Um, and, and and it's like they were just great, but you know, Greg, a lot of the Australians are known for the partying. Courser was the same, you know, he mm-hmm. partied pretty hard. Sure, um, but and- you know, Jay, like like my stories are kind of. When he there was a time when he lived with his brothers, mm-hmm. and they would really kind of mind him and and get They'd him motivated, wouldn't they? He would, yeah. yeah, and he would go to the you know the motocross track and stuff. And I stayed over their house a couple of nights, you know, here or there. And you know when you're when you think about somebody like the, his stature and his talent level, you would think, oh, okay, you know, and I've been in these situations before he kind of would steal off to his room and go away, but he wouldn't dude. He would spend like every moment I was there. He just wanted to hang out. He wanted to talk about racing. He wanted to talk about motocross, supercross movies, you know, and they, yeah. used to, and the thing about Anthony was he loved busting balls. Like he, did. he was an instigator and he was a ball buster and it was really funny. And he loved to see what he could get out of people. And he enjoyed it, you know? And he was always smiling. 
Always smiling. He just, I think that Anthony's biggest thing was he enjoyed people. He did. He, he did. really enjoyed being around people. Then there was a time when he was engaged to Sonny. Um, and she really was good for him and she kept him in line. And then unfortunately she passed away and he went off the rails. But, you know, there's a couple moments that step out. He was on a, he was on a Yamaha at road America and Yamaha hadn't won a superbike race in like eight years and it rained and he shattered everybody's nuts. Did I mean, he, he must've won the race by 50 something seconds. What year was, was that? Do you remember Greg? Must've been 2001 or 2002 or something. Yeah. Because Yamaha hadn't won a race since like 90 four or something like that as i remember calling probably with Colin. probably with Colin at that point you know what i mean and and so and they had brought out the r7 and all that and yeah it was i remember you know pit reporting that race and just thinking to myself what are we seeing because it was like a torrential downpour but old ama they wouldn't stop the race you know and he just went out there but the but the the best thing for me and this is he may have raced a race after this but in my mind this is the last race that anthony rode Bomoda oh, World Superbike, Phillip Island. Ridiculous. His grandfather had passed away, who he was tight with and loved. And had and Lee Diffie was commentating World Superbike then. And I remember Diffie telling us the story because Diff is so good at doing the research, right? And Gobert goes out there on a wet track and just knocked everybody's dick in the dirt. Well, let's start off by around. saying, too, on to your point. Because, again, that's another one where as a guy that shared the track with him and was a competitor with him, and you got to think how far down the line Anthony had gone at that point to be on a Bomoda. This guy yeah. deserved to be on the best factory bike that you could be on. But, unfortunately, this you know that that was a part of his career where people were giving him opportunities and it would just – and he'd, he'd kind of like – he would blow those opportunities, sadly, okay? And when he got on the Pomoda, Greg, he qualified, I think, on like the eighth row. Yeah, he was in the way, drive. way back. In the drive, he was like, and and if you remember, and God, it'd be so great if there's a way to go back and watch that race. But if you remember, he came from the eighth row. And I believe on the first lap, he led by eight seconds. On the first lap, he led by eight seconds. And he came from the eighth row. And you just go like, that's not normal. That is not normal, no, man. That, that is, is not, not normal. normal. And... You know, for me, I sat there and I would be rooting for him so hard all the time. And I liked Aaron. I got on great with Aaron and I loved Alex. I thought Alex, Alex was the quiet one of the three of them. You know, he was kind of the guy that was uh, a little bit more studious. Like he, 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 he wasn't as wild or as loud. I, I None of the Goberts to me were necessarily loud, maybe unless they started to have a couple in the evenings, but I always found Aaron to be easy to get along with and things um, as well as Alex. Um, but with the, the other interesting part of that whole thing for me was you had three Gobert brothers and then you had the three Hayden brothers, you know, at the time they were all in our series, weren't they? Yep. And um, so that was another interesting part of that time. And last week when we didn't do our podcast, Greg and I had a couple things that we were going to, you know, that he was going to do because he knew I was busy and I was happy to see that, you know, I learned from you that we weren't doing a podcast that week. And I was like, ah, oh, that's... I did see you like that tweet that I put I out. You were I like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> well, I thought, I thought, you know, it's good because, you know, there's there's not been a lot of people that, um, like, Greg, I've never really done a, a post like I did before because, I, you know, I just didn't. But with Anthony, I felt like it was deserving. The guy was good. And, and you know, I think to put it in a nutshell, the one guy who hated him more than anybody hated him. Like more than anybody, 
And I know you know it? who I'm talking about. Are you going to say it out loud? No, Matthew hated him. He well, hated I, him. They hated each other from when they rode motocross and shooting. Oh, they were, since they were kids. Since they they were hated kids. each other. Yep. I don't think Anthony would ever come out and say he hated Matthew, but nope. Matthew used to come out and say he hated him. And then Matthew in the same breath would go, it is the most talented guy I've ever been on the racetrack with. Yep. Because Matthew had I to think work that's with- why that that's listen, I'm not going to speak for Matt Maladin, but yep. in the years that I've that I was around him, I, part of me believes or uh, believes, but part of me thinks that Matt Matt's frustration with Anthony was the level of talent and then the lack of work ethic to get, you know, to use that talent where Matt worked his balls off. 100%. But great in in that breath, you know, Matt was he was not only was Matt just incredibly talented and good, but he had to work hard at it. Like you said, he had to work a lot harder than Anthony did. Mm-hmm. I would say in the history that I saw Matthew racing people in America, there was only two guys. There was only two guys that he couldn't get under the skin of in the sense of his verb, the way Matthew would talk and speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's only two guys and one of them was Anthony. Who was the other one? That he couldn't get under the skin of? Uh, when it Yates. came to actually racing, when it came to actually being on the track racing, there was two guys that could just let it go. And maybe at the beginning of it, there were, the other guy I'm thinking of maybe let him get under his skin. But after that, it was onwards and upwards for this other guy. Oh, Spees. Of course. Spees, yeah. Ben was, Ben, I think, we watched Ben mature. Like Ben went from a kid and Maladin brought him into being like, hey, this is what it's like to get punched in the face. And the guy that's punching you doesn't give a shit about you. Like he doesn't care. Oh. Get used to that emotion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and Ben. Matt, Matt effed with Ben hard. Hard. Especially at the beginning. Even before he got on Yosh, he was messing but, with Yes. Him. But, but the thing about Ben was is his reaction to what Matt did also helped to toughen him up. Like he was tough that on his childhood. Point. Right. So then by the time he gets the world Superbike and MotoGP, Spees is like, eh. Well, you're not ben went, a, ben went from a teammate like me that would put his arm around him and go, "Hey, try this or do this or try that or do that," to a guy that was like, "I'm a, if you let me near you, I'm going to come chop your arm off and see how you can ride with one arm." You know? Yeah. Um, and what it did for Ben, though, is I know I know Matthew took a lot of pride when Ben went over and won the World Superbike in 2009. Matthew Matthew treated that almost as if he had won it in the sense that he trained that kid. That kid mm-hmm. was toughened up. And with with Anthony, Anthony didn't give a shit what Matt did. No. In fact, it was almost comical watching Anthony try to fire back at Matt because whatever he said was just was actually funny. It wasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And well, he didn't um, have like he wasn't mean spirited. No, Anthony. he didn't have. Like, it. He couldn't figure out how to be mean spirited. He didn't have it. And what was great is like as I got to, yeah, you know, I I got to be pretty close to Matthew over here, and a lot of it with Matthew was like. Some of it, obviously, some of it was serious, but some of it was like building up a UFC fight for him. You know, it was like, see if I can get in these guys' heads and mess with them even before I go out there. And because he uh, felt I think, like, listen, I think half know, of it, Jay, was he was looking for a response to piss him off to help him motivate even more. And that's and that's what it took for him. It took him to hate somebody sometimes to mm-hmm. because Matthew on another level was just incredible. Like he was super cool. Like he'd come stay at my house or we would drive motorhomes around the country together and things, and he was great. Um, but but. He, he had to work. And I think the thing that pissed Matthew off was the same thing that made a lot of us frustrated. Matthew knew what his work ethic was. He knew what mm-hmm. he did to get ready for those race weeks. What he sacrificed and his commitment. Level. Everything. I mean, and it pissed tough. him off that Anthony wasn't working as hard as he was and could still do what he did. And I mm-hmm. think in a way, Matthew would almost be like um, a guy that, that 
in a different era. If it was, if Anthony came 10 years behind Matthew, Matthew might've been able to help him through some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of them being peers in terms instead of, of them being and peers and same and... ages and shit like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're, we're, we're 45 minutes into this and I'm glad we did a little discussion and things about Anthony. Um, the videos that had surfaced of him late, um, you know, last week or a couple weeks ago were set, were saddening to me. Um, didn't like seeing it. And look, Greg, I think that you said it early when we talked about this, about his mother, Sue and his brothers. And, um, I don't really know how, I don't really know how anybody couldn't kind of be prepared for the stuff that, that happened with Anthony late in his life. I think that it's been going on for 10 years, 12 years, probably. I think he raced last, they said in 2007 or 2008 in Australia. And so it's, it's been going on Greg for many, many, many years. It's not like this all of a sudden cropped up and, and, and got him. And um, I don't think that there was ever going to be a, um, a great ending to, to Anthony's story, unfortunately, but I'm happy that he did enough while he was here that so many of us remember him as a good guy, as a good friend, as a good person. Uh, like, like you said, love people and literally one of the greatest talents that ever swung a leg over a bike. No question. Great way to put it. All right. So we're going to move on from Anthony Gobert and why don't we talk about, um, I don't know. Let's talk about some, um, some more world Superbike stuff. We were talking about it. So testing is coming up this week, Jay. So yep. we're going to be able to talk about some testing and, and what we've seen. Cause almost everybody who is somebody in world Superbike is going, but with that in mind, um, there was some news that came out a few days ago about the final race of the year being moved mm-hmm. to October 18th through the 20th. Okay. So Jay, I kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about the, the, the span of the world Superbike season, because it does start at the end of February and now we go basically near the end of October, but we only have 12 events. Okay. I'm curious as to what you think that kind of grind is. You know, it's like when you have the, the MotoGP season, which I think is March through November, you know, you, but you're on it. You're, you're at 20 something races, right? You're, you're, you're staying at peak physical condition, but you're also now working. Right. In this particular case, I just keep thinking to myself, these poor world superbike racers have to stay at peak. You know what I mean? From from the time they land in Phillip Island, so they got to start working January 1, all the way until the end of October, but for only 12 race weekends. What do you think about like that, about like the schedule that World Superbike has, the amount of races? Do you think they should have more races? Do you think they should shorten <laughs> up the season? Do you think it's perfect the way it is? Like, is? I'm just curious as to what you think about it, because it was just something I was thinking about on the, on the flight home from Owensboro yesterday. Well, I think they should have a 13th race and figure out how to get one here in America, right? That's well, what that's, I, yeah, that's <laughs> number one, which, which by the way, with, with that, that new track in Tennessee. Could happen. Uh, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it's a delegated. Um, there's two ways of looking at this, all right, Greg? There's two ways. You're going to have the younger guys that are be like, man, I wish we had 15 races. Then you're going to have the guys like Sam Lowe's that goes, no, you don't. Yeah, I had, <laughs> yeah right. All right. Yeah, I had 22 or 21, whatever he had last year, and it's exhausting. And to travel – the way they do back-to-back rounds in MotoGP and the way they do things there. I mean, I can tell you right now, Sam was over it. Like I, you know, this is giving him, you know, I think if you're, I, I honestly, Greg, I believe if you're over 30 years old and you have a wife and a kid, world Superbike paddock is the most perfect place for you in the sense that you don't have to be gone as long. Um, it's you, you take down your risks obviously quite a bit because you're not riding as much. Um, and those kind of things. But if you are 
20 to 25 years old and you're either breaking into world Superbike or whatever, you're wishing that you could race twice a month. Right. Yeah. So, and look, these guys are not going to have any problems finding things to do during their off time. And, you know, they're going to be able to, you know, coming from a guy that did eight and nine race series, 12 race series in, in America back in the day, it's like, I didn't have to travel as far. We didn't have to travel as far, but we were able to still have time to go do it. And look, these guys will be super motarding. They'll be taking street bikes to racetracks and riding. They'll be motocrossing. They'll, you know, they're, they're not going to have t- trouble filling their time. Um, I think though, that if you're a guy that's in a, in a season like this, Greg, that's like you said, that's so spread out when you have momentum, you wish there was more races. Okay. So like if you're, if you're, yeah, if you're winning, if you're winning, that's what I'm saying. If you're oh, yeah. finding your way and, you know, you look at Johnny and Top Rack this year. They're both on new bikes. They're both got a lot of expectations. They both have won world championships. They're both chasing uh, Batista. They start getting a little momentum on their side and see that they're closing in. They don't want to give other manufacturers or companies or riders that break to to get a reset and get better, you know, before the next. So there's those kind of things. Momentum can play a big part in championships. And I think that that would be the only thing for me would be, if you're struggling, you're stoked that the season's the way it is. And if you're not struggling, you wish that there were more races. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's move to Moto America because it was announced that Suzuki uh, is got the, and Moto America, I guess, have the new GSX-8R homologated for the Twins class. It's a 776 parallel twin engine that's relatively new in the Suzuki lineup. They're putting it in a bunch of stuff. But Jay... That's it. The old trusted SV650. I know it's not been around, but every now and then one would poke up on the Twins grid even this year. But that one is out. So what do you think about, about this new Suzuki? And now you have a Suzuki contender. So now you have the R7, which is starting to lose a little bit um, of momentum in terms of speed. But I know that Chuck Chiquetto and Giacomo racing are really hard on developing that, you know, more getting more power out of it. But now Aprilia, Suzuki, and, you know, another one adds to the mix. This Twins Cup is is it's legit. It's been legit for a while, but it's even more legit now. I think it's going to be great, and I know a few things that are going on um, with that bike, and and um, there's possibly a couple riders that are going to be pretty potent on that motorcycle, possibly. So uh, I'm excited for it. It's nice to see Suzuki have, <laughs> I guess, a new model that you that they mm-hmm. can introduce to our series. Finally, that that part I love. Um, I think that when you look back and you see uh, Suzuki's history in our in our championship, it's been there. Thank God for Chris Ulrich and the M4 team keeping that brand alive in our series uh, at the high level. But it's good to see that there'll be another make and manufacturer in Twins Cup. I mean, great. When you really look at it, and we can't really do anything yet until we see entry lists, right? Mm-hmm. Every class that we have in Moto America is going to be absolutely stacked. It's going to be... It's going to be great. I think Superbike's going to be good. Supersport's going to be insane. Um, we like again. We were at dinner the other night, and there's like there's 20 guys before that first pit stop that at Daytona. It's going to be hectic, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, almost scary. You- it's all. It's almost going to be one of those. that's going to be. You know how I get sometimes. It's going to be scary to call. You know. In there. Um, I think the that probably. I did a Daytona 200 once where I want to say there were 64 riders. 100. percent There were two waves. Yeah. Right, on the grid. Yeah. And that was during the Superbike days. Yes. And it was like, that was scary. Very scary. Uh, yes. And I think that, you know, um, yeah, really scary. And this is, again, what Moto America has done with the percentage. Like last year, if you remember, 
we loved calling the race because there wasn't that much traffic and just don't want to see that big disparity because this year it's going to be fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, Suzuki getting involved in another class, maybe tying in with another couple of good teams that are going to help develop that motorcycle. I think it's exciting. I think it's really, really cool to see. And uh, I'm going to say this, even though I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I'm going to say it. But um, while I was at Chuck Walla this last month, they're getting ready to do a press release, a press launch on that bike. And so Garrett Kai from Suzuki was actually out there with us, uh, pitting out of Simon's garage on one of the days, just just kind of going through the bike and making sure that they get the settings right for the journalists when they come in. Mm-hmm. And I got a little look at it, and it's a cool little bike. And uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I know they're getting ready to do their launch, and um, and it was just a stock one. And uh, he was pedaling around Chuckwalla a little bit and got everything he needed to get done that day out of that uh, out of that bike. So. Um, I, I'm happy to see Suzuki get, get, I mean, the motor, the motor was launched last year and Jay, I was like literally millimeters away from buying, they put that motor in a V-Strom, you know, so an adventure touring bike and yeah. it just looks like it's perfect for me. And I had reached out to Hudson Valley motorcycles as we know some people who, who work there yep. and they had actually ordered one for me. And when yep. it came in, I like didn't return Dwayne's call for like a day or two because we okay. were traveling yeah, and by that time he'd sold the thing. Like everyone that came oh, wow. in, they sold it. And yeah. it's at like I don't know about what the twenty twenty four pricing, but it was a seven seven that seventy seven seven seventy six motor in an adventure touring package that was ten grand. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, okay, that's like that's something I want a little bit of motor. Like it, it was great, and so yeah, it's good bike. to see this new kind of generation of of looking at motorcycles where they're saying let's build an engine that's going to be. Uh, flexible to put into a variety of things. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know that the Penagali motor, uh, you know, that the foundation to the multi-strata V4 is the Penagali motor. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's like, yep. let's build something that's kind of, we'll be able to put it into an adventure touring platform, a naked bike platform, a sport bike platform. And that's kind of the next phase of what's going on. So anyway, it's really good. Uh, yeah, moving on to Moto cool. America Riders, Jay. Yeah. Um, Max Van moves up to Super Sport on a Team Hammer supported GSXR 750. What do you think about Max Fan moving up to Supersport? I love it. I think it's great. I mean, he had to make the jump sooner or later. I think we all had our expectations a little higher for Max than what he even got out of himself last year. He's such a positive guy, though. You never really see that he was upset by it or any of that stuff. I know that him and his dad and STG are a big part of our series. I mean, they sponsored Junior Cup a couple years ago. Um and so, you know, it's good to see him make that that next level. It'll be good for him. Kid's uber fit, and he'll be ready to jump on a super sport bike. It's just going to be a matter of how much testing time he can get under his belt and um, and that kind of thing. But Max, will, he'll be fine. I mean, he's just yeah. got to find his way a little bit. He's much better size-wise suited for super sport than he is for, for Junior Cup, for, for junior sure. Cup. So yes. It'll, yes. Be, it'll be interesting to see him develop. Um, Rocco Landers joins Hayden Gillum on the Vance and Hines Baggers team. Your thoughts on that move? Super interesting, and 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 I like it. I think it's you know for Rocco, it's just such a uh, such a jump, right? I mean, watch. Look, we've seen him in Junior Cup dominate, Twins Cup dominate um, uh, a couple years ago when he won that championship, right? And then Super Sport, Super he's Sport, won he's, Super Sport races. He's yeah. had he's had races there where you go like this guy, you know. Um, so for Rocco, I think it's it's a good thing, and. <clears throat> He is now in with a team that has a ton of history. Talking about Anthony Gobert, you know, Anthony made, uh, when Anthony came to America, originally he rode for Vance and Heinz Ducati, which was Terry Vance. And Terry just is, it's so cool to see that his passion is still what it is. I know you and I get along great with him. And um, it, 
I mean, like he came in and he won. I mean, Manson Hines won the Bagger Championship. Crazy, right? When he's Crazy. going against Factory Harley, Factory Indian. He had, you know, Hayden Gillum, who who we know and, and uh, we know how good he is. And for Rocco, this is going to be – this is all part of maturing, isn't it? Like now he's on with a team with a ton of history, with a guy who won a championship as his teammate. He's going to get to see what that interaction feels like now. It's going to be different because he's getting older. Things are going to be coming at Rocco a little bit differently. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Moto America racer Mallory Dobbs is going to be racing in the newly formed FIM Women's World Championship. What do you know about that? Anything? I know you know Mallory. I'm a big yeah, fan. Yeah. Big fan. I love her. She's so yeah. much fun to hang out with. She is. She's a good girl. So and I think that when you talk about Mallory, this this isn't, you know, she has a, a burning passion for, for, the, for the sport. She, um, I was lucky enough, Greg, because I started coaching her a couple of years ago. And you could immediately tell that she wanted to to improve and get better. And she did quickly. Like we we were able to go out and, and knock a ton of time off of what she had been doing. And then she tackled Moto America last year and super sport, but she's another one of those riders out there that funding wise, she's, she spends every dollar she can on getting to the track and racing. When this R7 thing came up, thought it was a really good opportunity for her. So I think it's six rounds of the women's R7 World Cup. Uh, I think it's six rounds, Greg. And they, they, you know, they go to that new track in Italy. I think Cremona, Italy. She's going to get to go to Donington Park. And so I'm going to try to get, you know, our boy Stevie English and and Alex and Sam to kind of look after her a little bit um, over there. And um, I think it's great. I think it'll be good for her. She rode a Twins Cup bike at Chuckwalla last month. I think she was going to try to ride it on Sunday. She rode that wrench bike, the wrench R7. Oh, and, yeah. And she didn't even practice or qualify. And she went out on it and went like 51s. Wow. And so that was pretty fast. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if Twins Cup actually came to Chuckwalla, they'd probably be in the eights. Mm, I think. 48s. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I yeah, I'm super pumped for her. I don't think all of her plans are set in stone as far as other things that she's going to do this year. But the R7 thing is 100% on, in her wheelhouse, and she's doing it. So congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. And finally, the last item I have in the news, you may have some other stuff. Um, American makes history in the Dakar rally. Ricky Brabeck took the win on his Honda CRF 450 rally. It makes history, Jay, because it's it's his second time winning. He won in 2000 and wins it again. And no American has won it twice, the Dakar rally. So huge wow. congratulations to Ricky on that big win. Look, it's a big deal, man. It's It's... A grueling desert race. It starts what January first, and they went yeah. four thousand nine hundred and fifty miles. Yep, yep. I think that Greg, what we were doing is, and I can't remember where Simon has it. It's either I see the Prime or I know it's not Netflix, but it's one of those where you could go and get a recap. Sure, it might be Peacock. You get oh, a Peacock, recap. Yeah, NBC does the NBC That's Peacock right. does and the so, recaps. I started watching that a little bit, like uh, when Simon was there, and then Simon left. He was gone for like the whole week. He didn't race. He didn't do anything because um, it's Work. Super Bowl. T- it's oh. yeah, it's Super Bowl time of the year, you know. So mm-hmm. he's off um, uh, doing yeah, you know, commercials and things for those. So, um, but yeah, the thing is, is that is that uh, I was starting to watch a little bit of that, you know, on the recap shows. It's just it's just gnarly, isn't it? I mean, it's just wild and. Um, Crazy. But congratulations! That's that's an amazing feat to to win that one over there. Um, 
Yeah, big congrats. Yeah, don't to forget him. the year Petrucci came to race with us a couple of years ago. That Crazy. was a big deal. A road racer won a stage in the Dakar, and that was incredible. So, Ricky Brabeck, congratulations on I that mean, again. That is like just so cool, you know. Yeah. Um. So, looking at at uh, over the weekend, Greg, we ended up having um, four fifty Supercross, and I'm looking here, G Dub, and on mine, we've got it wrong. You got the San Francisco. Oh, on first. My, so. Yeah, you. Yeah, so we we didn't get to talk about that, did we? So San Fran. No, yeah, yeah, ago, we didn't talk about San weeks ago. So round two, right? Couple, so I, couple, I put. Yeah, we got to catch up on two. Yeah, weeks. sorry. Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, Chase Sexton won over Tomac Roxon. Shane McRath put an amazing ride in the mud, and Plessinger ended up fifth. Now, I think the funny part is, Greg, is that is that just literally prior to this race happening two weeks ago in San Fran, Andrew Lee and I were talking about like what. Chase, uh, sorry, what Jet Lawrence's over under is for winning races this year. And we both said, well, if it's dry, like if there's no, you know, like if he doesn't get injured and there's no like major weather races, we're like his over under is probably like 12 and a half or 13 and a half as far as race wins go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the mud, this thing starts. And <laughs> Sexton gets his first, gets his first win for Red Bull KTM. I think for him to get that in the second race on that bike for him gets a little weight off of his shoulders. Doesn't matter how you do it. You win and you, you go, okay, I just legitimized why I made the move and this and that. Um, and I thought that when you look at the other guys, Tomac getting second, he pushed him for a while and then Roxon getting third. Um, all good. McArath, I think is a surprise guy. And then we went off to, uh, you have the results put up for, for San Diego. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. yeah. So then we go off to San Diego and yeah. then, Dude, anyway, I literally had Aaron Plessinger pick to win the race, and then I changed it at the last minute, but I'll tell you that story in a second. So we get out there, Aaron Plessinger goes out, and it, it rained all day, but it wasn't like the mud fest that it was in San Francisco, but it was pretty, you know, pretty decent, you know, decently wet. But Aaron Plessinger gets out and wins by two seconds over Cooper Webb, who was on the charge. But also, he might have gotten a little help. <laughs> might have gotten a little help from Chase Sexton, his teammate, when yeah. Cooper got by him, uh, you know, for lap traffic. But then it was Justin Barsha again out of nowhere, twenty-two of seconds nowhere. back. Then Jet in fourth, Jason Anderson in fifth, Dylan Ferrandis, Hunter Lawrence in seventh over Chase Sexton in eighth. Tomac was ninth, and then Dean Wilson. Seventh place was important, right? Because seventh was the wild card in fantasy. Oh God, I had Ferrandis. I think he finished sixth. Yeah. So, the, and then the week before that, though, the week before that, had Dean Wilson to finish fifteenth. He's running fifteenth on the last lap, and that, somehow yeah. or another, he gets sixteenth. And the guy that beat him went fourteen seconds quicker on the last lap. So obviously, Dean had a problem. So there was a small group of us that were like, "We need to go pay a visit to Dean." You know, go, <laughs> pay him a little visit with a wrench. So I, with, yeah, you think, with about, a- think about how much these guys must get in that, though. You know, think oh, about no, yeah, like, yeah. the fact yeah. that they're exposed to fantasy, and it's like how much people must be like you. Oh, son fo- of a bitch, football you players know? have been talking about it for years. Like all of yeah. a sudden, fantasy gets huge, and people are like on their Twitter feed crushing. You son them. of a bitch! How dare you not get that extra <laughs> yard? You cost me my league championship. You pos. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, what the hell? Now, what's interesting though is in the championship, man. Yeah, fill me in one, on those because I haven't even looked at it. It's one point is the difference. Oh, in is the it championship? Wow. Yeah, blessing or lead, so he's going to have the red plate. He's going to have the... Oh, wow. Great. And I, Dude, all the way back to like fifth place, it's only 11 points. Like, it's super tight. It's only three races. But I did reach out to Wygant, and I said, Jay, is it true statistically, because I know that Jason would know this stuff, 
when the when the when the when the soil soft, you know what I mean? Like it was wet there and it was mud or whatever. We have less injuries. And Jay kind of said it's kind of true that when it is in those conditions, there's less injuries. He goes, but what skewed all everything was how many people got hurt in like the second round or third round last year. You know, mm. if you remember, hold on, I want to pull up his, his, like what what he was um, what we were texting back and forth because. He was like, mud races do lead to fewer injuries, but all the recent data is skewed because of two two weekends last year, Nashville and Denver, rounds 15 and 16, when tons of dudes got hurt. It was mm-hmm. actually 2022. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like Webb, Tomac, Barsha, and Anderson, like all went down, you know, and got hurt. Yeah. And so he's like, it kind of skews the data, but I think it's good because as I remember Supercross, this is when it's normally right around like round five when people start making mistakes they get hurt rounds eight and nine people are fatigued from the season, the grind, they make mistakes and get hurt. So this early season stuff that's going on and how difficult it is to even qualify for the four fifty mains is really entertaining right now. And yeah. this weather, I mean, we've had three completely different races. So, well, we have, uh, we have, and, and can I say that it's how great it was to watch Plessinger win? It kind of reminded me of, um, you know, Races that we've seen in the past, and I'm drawing a blank right now. Who's my Moto Three guy that I love? That whose fairing blew off at um, the Japanese kid that whose fairing blew off at Qatar when he was leading, and then it was like, is he ever going to win another race? I want to think it's Toba. Kind of it's not. No, it's not Toba, and it's not. It's not Suzuki. I uh, can't believe I've just drawn a blank. Road for Grassini, or not Grassini? Road for Simicelli. I just oh. can't remember right now. I yeah, know I'm going to lose my brain. It's Moto uh, three, you know. What you do. Yeah, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, but but Plessinger, let's not forget, he was leading last year at Detroit, and you know I think super big fan favorite and crashes. I remember seeing him just absolutely in a puddle next to the track in tears because he mm-hmm. was on his way to winning his first race, and in this one. You just had that feeling of like, oh no, Cooper's coming, like Webb's coming. <laughs> and then when I saw them lap sex, and I'm like, well, this ought to be interesting. And um, we never really got to fully see it. And then did you see like the beef between Oh yeah, Jet Lawrence and, yeah. and Anderson? I never really saw it. But I saw that Jet put up like an apology or something to Anderson that he lost his cool and that he's going to pay his fine and that he's getting like seats for the fan zone at all the remaining races for fans or something like that. Like he went on a bit of a repair mission, but to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of us that are kind of happy to see guys get in each other's faces a little bit. Like anyways, that's what it was. And that's, you know, I mean, um, good for jet for doing that because what it sounded like was that jets success got to his head for a minute. You know, he's still the young guy. Anderson's still the older dude. It's like, is does Anderson deserve some respect? You know what I mean? That kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so for Jet to kind of roll out of it a little bit and just say, hey, my bad, man. Even though Anderson was the one who grabbed like his helmet, grabbed yep. Jet's helmet and kind of like forced his chin down a little bit. Yep. And Jet kind of like, you could tell in the moment, Jet was like not in a fighting mood necessarily. I think he kind of backed off. But again, that's all supposition from just looking at the video and 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 trying to piece together what might have happened. Yeah, I will say though post race that Cooper Webb basically he he did the right thing and he all he said was the situation with uh uh with Sexton was like you know lap traffic was was kind of a pain like that's all he really that's all he really said. I think he kind of said that it something about I read another quote that basically said that you know kind of as a past champion that it wasn't really becoming but like oh he may have said that like um you know 
Like I'm talking about at the, what what aired on TV, and he didn't say that during that interview during at all. That interview, yeah, he, might, he might have said that later. like to Racer X or to you know Pulp or something, you know. But he didn't say. I didn't hear him say anything like that. Yeah, no, I just I read it. I just read that. I didn't see it either. I just read. But look, that. I hate the flex, but I was in the OWB sitting at Roger Hayden's house. Yeah, we were watching so together cool. with his wife. So right. you know, we were kind of chatting up too. It was kind of half paying attention. So what do yeah. I? Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth, right? Liz Earl. She's great, man. She's so cool. Like, yeah, I, I'm happy for Raj. So that's good. So, and I saw you posted the, I saw you posted the pic or the video. Uh, you got to see Nikki's statue, huh? Yeah. So as it turns out, like, um, you know, I'm I'm leaving on Wednesday to go to Lancaster, PA, and for archery stuff. It was a huge uh-huh. indoor, biggest archery tournament on the East Coast, and I commentate as well, but I shoot. And so, looking for a warm up tournament in the area here in North Carolina, and there wasn't anything super close. Okay. And I found, like, I, when I expanded my search, I found that there was a tournament going on in Owensboro at the Owensboro Convention Center, yep. which is right on the water. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I looked at some flights, and I looked at rental cars, and I was like, yee, like $800 for a flight and this and oh, that. Wow. So, yeah. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend some miles. So I ended up spending miles. I did, like, miles plus money, Jay. So, like, the ticket cost me, like, 53 bucks okay. to fly there. So this is Friday night, you know, like, at, like, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So I got an 8 a.m. flight. Saturday morning, my shooting line was at 3.30, so I had plenty of time to get to Evansville, drive over to Owensboro, and um, I was staying at the hotel right next to the convention center, used points for the rental car and everything, and really nice event was put on. It was really, the convention center's cool, it's very modern, but it turns out that my hotel was on the left side of the convention center, and Nikki's statue is right in front of the oh, convention wow. center on the right side. And it was 11 wow. freaking degrees, Jay. Oh, so gosh. like I literally was just walking in the first door that I could get into. So it wasn't until we were done Sunday, I drove over to the convention center and found a parking space literally right next to Nikki's deal. And I was like, here it is. Cause I hadn't yeah. seen it yet. You know what? Like, what did it like? What did it feel like to be there? Is it weird? Was it weird? It is weird. Yeah, it's weird. It was because like, you know, you don't you see pictures of it, but you see it there. And then the cool thing about it is, is the details incredible. I mean, it's life size, dude. And you see the bike and you can grab the handlebar and Nikki's face looks like like it's like it's real. Oh, yeah. But it's all brass. But then on top of that, you know, they have the the Kentucky Kid 69 logo on one side of it. And it has like his little bio on one side. And then on the back side is like all his accomplishments talking about he did dirt track here and he, you know, AMA stuff here. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Including, um, his, his win, uh, on the Honda in world Superbike at Phillip Island in the rain. Wow. Like you know when I mean? you were, when, when you're looking at the video and you're getting up close to it, I, I feel like I still like, I don't, I don't know, man. It's so weird to me. Like, I still just don't, I keep on waiting for Nikki to show up somewhere till this day. Like, isn't it weird that like, like there's a, like, you know how final certain things are. And it, for me, I don't know why. I mean, like, look, Nikki was my teammate. I think we just all love the Haydens. Yeah. But like, he's still a good friend. He's a friend. He I mean, just it's so just many, for the, so for our things. age difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think we're probably. 13 years in age difference. And he used to say stuff like, ah, when we're sitting on the porch and rocking chairs talking about racing, you know, it's like, you you don't say stuff to someone that is an acquaintance like that. You know what I mean? It's it's just, I can't, but Jay to to stand in front of the thing. Okay. This is, this is the deal to stand in front of it. And you're like, wait a second. 
Well, you just buy there's yourself. A memori- there's a life-size, yeah. yeah. There's a life-size memorial of a guy that I know. That's you know what right. I mean? Like, you don't yes. think about it like I used to know yeah. him. You're like, I know this guy. He'd be 41 years old. And then you start to think, like, these weird thoughts come into your head, like, all these people pass by and they don't know who the hell this guy is. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, what do these sure. people know? All these archery people are sitting there and they just, they never paid attention to it. But it's like, there are people that will appreciate it. And, and, re- and Owensboro is an interesting town. So they have a trolley. They have these trolleys, Jay, these really old trolleys. And from what Fort Roger told me and, and what Liz told me is they used to have a few of them, but they're, they're, they're no more parts available for these things. So they're down to two of them and it just goes around and it would stop in front of our hotel. And then it takes you for a tour around Owensboro. Wow, you know? that's pretty cool. And I'm like, like yeah, anyway. I, I could just, uh, like, if I was sitting there staring at that, and I was thinking about this when I was looking at your video of it, I was like, like you're waiting for Nikki to say something smart-ass to you, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's just, a, there he is. And it, it would be very surreal for me. And, you know, when you think of Owensboro, you think of the Haydens. That's all you think about. Like, I remember when we went there a gazillion years ago, how what the small town feel of it was like. And you just got you got to know that like everybody in Owensboro knew who the Haydens were because they put Owensboro on our map as far as motorcycles go, I feel. And it's got to just be so weird going there with no Nikki, no Earl. Like for me, it's... it's it is weird. It's weird. And I, it's funny because I did have a conversation with... Uh, with the, the woman who's checking me in at the Holiday Inn, she was just like, oh, what brings you to Owensboro? And I'm like, the archery tournament. And she said, oh, is this your first time to Owensboro? And I was like, no. I you know I know some people that live here. Who? I'm like, you know, the Haydens. She's like, Nikki? Yeah. yeah. And she was old enough where she was like, oh, yeah. You know, I know Earl from way back in the day. Of course. And, of course. You know, that type like, of stuff. But she didn't really know the kids. She said, oh, my only Hayden story is one time we were getting on an airplane here in Owensboro because there is an airport in Owensboro. Yep. Most of the time you fly out of Evansville, Indiana. 50 minutes away, but, and she was say, just telling me some story about how like they were trying to get on the plane and then they were trying to like kick his luggage off. Cause he had a big bag. Obviously mm-hmm. he had leathers and stuff in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she was like, and they were so nice about it, but everything worked out, you know? And yeah. And, um, yeah. So it's, 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 I guess you'd use the word surreal standing there Yeah, that's because I feel be, kind yeah. of the same way you do, but it's just the, 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 it just blows me away. You know, you see statues of somebody from, you know, years ago or whatever you go you know to philadelphia and you see the rocky statue and you're like yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know the dude right like yeah 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 correct yeah that's but now be- i'm looking at a moto gp bike with yeah. the 69 a honda bike you know yeah. and i'm all looking at the detail too i'm like oh man i wonder what swing arm was on this thing yeah you know yeah, like kind of yeah. crazy but it's cool it to- is crazy yeah if you're ever in the area definitely got to swing by and go check it out it's a really nice little area actually by the water and uh and obviously nick statue is part of it and and as well as the Moonlight Cafe. So look, <laughs> did were you did you ever eat at Moonlight? Mm-mm. So no. Moonlight is, you know, right down the street from where the Haydens live, and and it is absolutely famous place to go eat barbecue in Owensboro, Kentucky. So, you know, I got done shooting at like six thirty or seven, and Supercross was starting at seven thirty, maybe. Yeah. Eight, you know, at their time, yeah, um, eight thirty east. So, yeah, 830. Yeah. So Roger's like, why don't we just go to Moonlight? We'll miss the first little bit. So we're sitting in Moonlight and all of a sudden I was like, you guys, we got to get our picks in, you know, because because Liz, Liz, his wife plays and she's like a like a super cross fantasy guru. And then Roger's like, all right, all right. So I literally got my picks in, Jason, with a minute and 15 seconds to go. That's me for the San Francisco round. I had 33 seconds when I hit the the click button because i was teaching all day so it was like it was like and almost completely forgot i barely got them in so 
Yeah, which which is fine in a for way. For fantasy, is good because you still have your picks from the week you can, prior, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like, I literally did the, well, who's doing what? And then Roger just happened to say, well, it's not actually going to be a mud race. I saw this video. So I just started ripping clicks. And what? So and you if, killed it. Yeah, rmfantasysx.com, or sorry, rmfantasymx.com uh, is the deal. I think you can go to sx.com, too. It's Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. That's the group. You got to use the apostrophe S. And right now, Mackenzie 7 leads the way with 115 points, tied with Ninja 7 at 115. Moto Dave 63 in third with 114. And G-Dub 13, Look recognized. Look G-Dub. Three points back, G-Dub? Three points back. Wow. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I know any of these. I'm trying to figure out. I'm I know, number two, and I'm right you. now I'm second. Dude, Barrett 65. I don't know I who know. that chode is, but yeah, that, 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 that chode's in eighth place. Squid. Yeah, he's there though. And but then, in Uncle Skip's, I'm second right boy now. Rust, my boy Rusty, JP and Greg hold hands, so he's right there. <laughs> Where am I? Oh, Mallory, she's tenth. Who we talked about earlier? Right, the Malinator. All right, Malinator's pretty good. And then yep. yeah, what am you're I, all right 12th? though. You're right in there. I'm you're okay. 104. I'm you're, okay. Yeah, you're you're, you're in the right. mix. You're in so the mix. um, yeah, that's great. So I'm in like four different leagues, <clears throat> and this week in one of them, it I've got there's a league <laughs> it says. It's pretty good. It's it's Kyle's league that he it's me, Kyle, and Cody Wyman and Raspoli. <laughs> yeah, you told group, us about it last week. Well yeah. the group the group's called Hands Off My Harley Davidson Money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the group. Or so, Cody. Yeah, but actually Raspoli schooled us this last week, so he got his ten dollars from each one of us and see this is the thing. There is no yeah. schooling because I think with the with the type of race it was gonna be, it was an absolute Hail Mary. I don't think I actually nailed anyone position no cooper webb i had second place i did nail that so okay but okay. beyond that it was like i had i had like um you know jason anderson in there and i had jet in there so that got yeah. me points they weren't in the proper position but join us folks we got a rye helmet on the line we got dunlop tires on the line We're, we we are getting word from somebody who wants to you know support the podcast that we might have some other little trinkets and, and items for you and we'll go over the list but just get involved and be part of the pod uh uh, part of the uh, the MX Fantasy deal, uh, Supercross Fantasy, with us because you know it'll still be going on when race season starts, and there's nothing better than when we go to Daytona, Jason, and we run into people mm-hmm. that are in the fantasy. They just want to talk fantasy, and it's so much fun, so much fun. Uh, hey, I booked my ticket to to Daytona finally. Like, oh, you did? It's getting real now. Like, pretty pumped. How how expensive so, was it? It wasn't too bad. It was like seven hundred and something. I'm yeah. It's sad to say that that's not too bad. Anymore, yeah, that yeah, that's what it was. It was yeah. like. Direct flights, and I'm getting in on Wednesday and jamming out on Sunday morning. And, um, but yeah, like, it, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, um, I'm gonna drive down. It's like eight hours for me. So I just figured, yeah. save the cash, drive down, do that. And then I have the flexibility to bail out when I need to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, so what, if we got anything, there's still testing next week. We'll talk testing. We got some testing and more supercross. I'm having a little discussion with our boy Stevie English. He's been texting me during this te- this this podcast, so I got some questions for him. So maybe we'll, I'll get some questions to ask for next week. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess yeah, I guess the boys said they were testing at the end of January. Yeah, at Jerez. Is this the Jerez test that we're talking about? Correct, sir. Yeah, so everybody's going to be out. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to be good. And um, looking out my window right now, Greg, it's California's officially broken. It's pouring rain here. So yeah. <laughs> Sun's out here. Sun's out, bun's out.
Let's yep, go. Sun's up, buns out. Although it's so. probably, I think it's it, we we're in a cold snap, Jay. So like I said, I landed in Ev- Evansville, Indiana, and it was seven degrees with a wind chill of three, and uh, I was in shorts like a dope. Yep. yep. And I That's think it, I think it got up to like twelve in Owensboro. Yeah. Wow. That's just too cold for me. I don't need. But that. A, but dude, a rental car with remote start, clutch. Oh, that's good. Yeah, get the heater going. Mm-hmm. That was good. All right, everybody, have a tremendous week. We got this podcast early. Sorry for our little inconsistencies about days and things, but Greg's traveling a lot right now with some tournaments, and I've been traveling a lot with just uh, being at the track. And it's so weird, Greg. It's so hard for me to carve an hour plus into my time to when I'm out there. But we got an hour and 20 in today. Hope you guys enjoyed our little tribute to Anthony Gobert a little bit. He's going to be missed, and we will talk with you all next week. Have a safe and uh, wonderful week, everybody. See it.